Welcome to church and thank you for having me here today. It's always nice to come and share with my church family here. Um, So I was preparing to preach on another topic for today, so I've been um, thinking about that for quite a few weeks now. But when Kirk was talking last week, I began to feel really uncomfortable as he was preaching. And I thought, well, that's probably something that I should look at if I'm feeling really uncomfortable here today. So what he was talking about was new beginnings, specifically hope, and the reality of life when hope is dashed or delayed. Now, the reason I was so uncomfortable is because I've been travelling alongside a lot of you for a long period of time now here at the Vineyard, and that's been over a variety of challenges and circumstances that were just been really hard. And many of these things have remained unresolved for you or just didn't eventuate in the way that people's hearts were wanting. So when Kirk was talking about and inviting us into hope last week, I was just acutely aware as I looked around the room um, of this reality and how that might be affecting some of you as he talked this through. Um, Because when hope hasn't been actualised in your life, it's kind of really challenging to continue to hold hope. So things like jobs and careers haven't materialised as people were wanting, family members lost before we were ready, relationships didn't follow the path that we were longing for, health issues haven't been healed, Um, so many things. So I was really feeling for for you guys and how the concept of hope sits in hearts that are uh, tired and sore and aching and disappointed and angry. So as I started to ponder on this, I started to think about, well, where does hope sit when we pray and we plead and we ask for God for things and we converse with him about our deepest hopes and they're just not realised? How do we retain hope and faith when prayer remains unanswered? Kirk said that the cross and resurrection is supposed to make a difference in our life right now, not just in our eternal existence, which is absolutely correct. But what does that look like in daily life? We say it's hard when hopes and dreams don't work out, but it's actually devastating when that happens. Life just isn't like the midday movie where there's some kind of momentarily momentary blip and challenge and then everything works out for good in the end in the two hours. And it would be fair to sometimes ask God, like, are you asleep at the wheel? What's going on here? So if we could go to the first slide, Isaac. One of the things I've learnt is that I had a a pretty simplistic, immature view of hope, that it was this linear, insular process. You desire for something, you hope for it, you remain true to the hope, and it will happen. So in that case, hope is a verb and it remains pure and separate from doubt and disappointment and heartbreak and disillusionment. But I'm starting to understand that hope isn't only a verb, it's also a noun. It can be a quality, a destination, an expectation or an outcome. It's also an adverb and an adjective. I'm a bit of a book nerd, so, you know, we're just going to go with that. So if I can give you an example, apologies to my son Amos in advance. So Amos's soccer season, he's just looking at me with panic, um, soccer season had just, just started for my son and it goes for about six months of the year and I love watching him play and his mates play. It's great to see them um, pulling together as a team and having a good time. But there's a lot of travel and teenage boys get very hungry. So we were discussing the other day, Amos and I, about um, we basically don't eat Maccas outside of the soccer season because there's a lot of time in the car and we just need, he needs that top-up snack. 
So if I was to use this as an example to understand the verb, noun, adjective and adverb of hope, is that my son often hopes for a Macca's run after a soccer game. Yep, I'm getting a thumbs up there. So that's when hope is a verb. Um, he remains in hope of a Macca's run, so that's when hope is a noun. The adjective is that the hopeful boy asked for some Maccas. <laughs> and it's an adverb. The boy hopefully asked for Maccas on the way back from soccer. So my point is that hope is complex and it's multi-layered. It's a state of being, of hopefulness. It's expectation to hopefully. It's executed, hoping along the journey of reaching an outcome of hope. And in every season of life, we find ourselves in one of those versions of hope, whatever circumstance is going on. So now that we've covered grammar, um, all I can add to the discussion today is personal experience. You can go to the next slide, Isaac. So several years ago, I lost relationship with a significant family member. It was an undoing of a lifetime of perceived connection and involved the eradication of history with this person and within the larger family unit. Ultimately, it resulted in the loss of future relationship as well. So hope definitely excused itself. It was absent. And for me, it had a quite a devastating effect because there wasn't the resolution or outcome that was hoped for. It really was one of the most difficult situations that I've navigated. Now, if I fast forward to the present time, the situation remains um, unchanged. However, the devastation has calmed and there's been some kind of uh, resolution in myself where that's allowed for joy and life and progress and a lived life to continue. It may not look like I hoped it would, but the process um, came to its conclusion. I've continued to be having joy-filled relationships with other family, whether it's biological or other. Um, it just looks different to what I hoped that it would. So there was a circumstance of hope lost and then the present day um, experience of life lived. And what, did I, what I wanted to look at was what happened in the middle bit. And for me, that was grief. So if we look at Romans 5, Isaac, um, I really shouldn't sit my son with Isaac up the back because all they do is this, it's their hobby. <laughs> Doing good, boys. Therefore, if we look at Romans um, 5, verses 1 to 5, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. So in this verse, I see good news and bad news. Hope doesn't disappoint us, and we have access to grace and peace through God and Jesus. It speaks of the assurance we have in our faith. So that's the good stuff. Hope can be produced. Hope can be an outcome. However, the process through which that happens is the bad news. It talks about suffering, endurance, and character. So this is where hope isn't a whim or a feeling or a dream or a thought. It's the stuff that we all don't really want to do. And it's what often occurs when we're on our way of journey to hope. We experience suffering and all that it entails. Sadness, despondency, disappointment, pain, loss, frustration, 
loss of our vision of what we thought our future would be like. And we have another name for that, which is grief. Now, there's many scriptures that address grief. We'll go to the next slide. Thank you. So now is your time of grief. Well, I'll see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Revelation, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Psalm, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. And Psalm again, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. I love the wonderful promises that God has for us in our place of grief and lost hope. And I love that it's quite specific in these verses about not just Jesus is going to be with you and it's all good. It's really talking about wiping away tears and suffering and, and being brokenhearted and being wounded. And God knew that there would be suffering in the world. Um, and he's very kind in how he connects with us through that. But the thing that kills me about this is there's no timeline. So I see, I see some of you serving people, serving God... Um, being so faithful and being really um, obedient to the, what God's called you to do in your life, but you're quietly going about that mourning and questioning and pushing forward through circumstances of hopes dashed or hope delayed. And I say to God, like, isn't it time? <laughs> Haven't these people given you what they needed to do? They're good people. They've done their time. But the verses don't say, now is your time of grief, and after a few months you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Or the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those quickly who are crushed in spirit. We know that a thousand years is a day to God and I just want to say today that I see you. I see those of you who serve and pray and grieve and I stand with you. And this is the beginning of how we manage both hope and disappointment as they often occur simultaneously. Thanks, Isaac. They run concurrently. Now, grieving is something that we don't like to discuss. And what I liked about this image is the first one was this sense of going upwards, that we start here and then we work up to here. And for me, life isn't like that. It's, it's, it's running this way. It's not a sense of I finally, finally got there, I finally achieved, I finally reached the pinnacle. Um, it just doesn't work that way. It's, it's a very horizontal process of I'm journeying through life rather than I'm pushing forward and I have to achieve something. So when, when we navigate grief, it's often not something that we talk about, um, particularly in the church as well. And so that's what I wanted to spend a little bit of time with this morning. So as I reflected on the period of my life where hope was dash and grief ensued, it struck me of how it was a process of working it out. There's no immediate solution or resolution, or yes, and it was confusing for a long time. It took quite a while to kind of work through that. And I was reminded of Philippians 2, which talks about working out our salvation. So what I wanted to do was talk about, well, how do we work out in the physical? So this is clearly a theoretical analysis for me because it's not a passion of mine. My amazing son is very fit, loves working out, loves exercise, didn't get that from me. Um, but it was something that I thought, there's some parallels there. So a friend of mine is a personal trainer and I admire her so much because she became one after experiencing, um, overcoming some really difficult personal experiences and through that she lost a significant amount of weight. 
So she learned so much from that experience that she developed a love of fitness, she trained as a PT and now she has a business in that. And it's not just about losing weight for her, it's about breaking all sorts of mindsets and patterns and habits. And interestingly, her ethos revolves around bringing freedom to people and she very much accepts people as they come. So when I look at the processes that she used, the things that come to mind, thanks Isaac, is um, firstly it starts with recognition of an issue. So there's something wrong, there's something that's not working here. Secondly, it looks at you need direction, you need research information and that's what she does. She provides um, new information and knowledge for people. Thirdly, it's action. So if you change nothing, nothing changes. So it's looking at changing habits and beliefs and practices and obviously with losing weight, it's about input and output. Uh, fourthly, there's pain involved, quite a lot. Uh, fifth is, is, I guess, the hard stuff. There's repetition, there's endurance, and there's time before there's actually change. There's more pain, again. There's failure and discouragement. So often people have this journey where, again, it's not this kind of straight process. It takes all sorts of um, pathways in that. And lastly, th lastly there's partnership. So what I wanted to do was just talk through that and how we work through grief and maintain hope. So firstly, it starts with recognition of an issue. So recognise your grief. Often in church we believe that if we doubt God or if we're disappointed with him, that that makes us bad Christians. I don't even know where people get that from, but we judge ourselves because we doubt God. We minimise and we deny it, which potentially means that we're actually denying ourselves of the opportunity to heal. So let's stop doing that. Instead, let's acknowledge our disappointment and our pain and our dashed hope and invite God right into the middle of that circumstance. Secondly, we need direction. We need to, some information of how we do this. So it is worth spending some time learning about what God says about grief. Recently, um, Pine Rivers Vineyard ran a prayer, well, Vineyard ran a prayer course um, about unanswered prayer, which I thought was fantastic. And there's some videos on YouTube um, about that. Because it's, it's important to acknowledge, Lord, we, we come to you and things don't work out as we, as we would like. So what do we do with that when that happens? You can Google God and grief, God and disappointment. There's heaps of articles online. And obviously there's the Bible as well. So if we look at some of the people from um, the Old Testament, David was troubled and he battled deep despair. Moses was grieved over the sin of his people. Talk about hope dashed. His people literally saw the power of God in rescuing them from the Egyptians through miracles and then turned their back on him and they're like, yeah, nah, I'm just going to worship someone else instead. Um, Jeremiah wrestled with great loneliness, feelings of defeat and insecurity. So he was known as the weeping prophet. Sounds super fun. Um, he suffered from constant rejection by the people he loved and um, reached out to. So God called him to preach, yet forbid him from marrying and having children. He lived alone, he ministered alone, he was poor, ridiculed and rejected by his people. And so in the middle of it, he displayed great spiritual faith and strength, and yet we also see his honesty as he wrestled with despair and a great sense of failure. 
in Jeremiah 20, there's a verse, Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? So again, someone who saw great miracles and evidence of God, but also worked through his grief in the middle of that. Elijah was discouraged, weary and afraid. And in fact, in 1 Kings 19.4, he said, Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors. Incidentally, after he said this, he had a nap and a snack and he felt much better. So the food and drink was brought to him by an angel who said, Get up and eat because the journey is too much for you. So never underestimate the power of rest and food, people. Anyone with toddlers will know that. I think there's a whole sermon there about how to live life well, particularly when the journey ahead is too hard. God knew it was going to get real for Elijah and literally filled him up and got him to rest before things got rocky. So thirdly, um, we're talking about action. So this speaks against the passivity of pushing aside your disappointment in God and, and in life, and it's about inviting him into your process. What does that action look like? It's different things for different people. So if we look at changing input and output, it's speaking to what are you feeding your mind and your heart and your soul? How do you spend your time? It's about how do you um, have practices in your life that nourish you in whatever that looks like for you. Changing habits is around working on negative thoughts. Like our, our thoughts are so incredibly powerful and there's so much science around our brain and how we can um, fall into negative thought patterns. It doesn't make you wrong or bad for having them. It's about how do we work ourselves through that moment and, and, um, and talk ourselves through that. Practicing gratefulness. Sometimes it's about seeking, seeking counselling. It's just being proactive in the things that feed you spiritually and emotionally and physically. The food. I think that's a big part of Inya. Anyway, sometimes the action means just keep doing what you're doing. So whether that's keep connecting with people that encourage you, um, keep connecting with other believers, whether that's one-on-one, -on -one, corporately here at church, keep worshipping in a way that works for you and keep pursuing relationship. In isolation is where we, um, the most damage is often done when we isolate ourselves from others. Action can also look like intentional rest. That's really important as well. So fourthly, pain is unavoidable, and that's the suffering bit in Romans 5. We all try to avoid it, but it needs to be felt in a healthy way. So many behaviours and habits of us is about numbing ourselves from the pain of the dashed hope that we have. We use anything to deal with our grief, whether that's Netflix binging, food, busyness, alcohol, relationships, gambling, exercise, work. Anything that stops us from feeling pain and disappointment is often what we fall into. Now, obviously, we're going to have days where it's kind of important to, to disconnect and chill out a bit from the intensity of our feelings. But if that becomes your daily practice and your only response to grief, it often doesn't lead to positive things. So feel our pain. Number five is the bit that none of us like, which is rep repetition, endurance and time. Now, when you're working out physically, it's often... There's a variety of exercises, so I hear, um, to build up muscle and strength. But essentially, there's a repetition aspect to what you're doing. And when we're working through our grief and when we're grieving our grief, repetition's really important. It means doing the same things until we see the momentum. Keep doing the things that you know 
promote your emotional, spiritual and mental health. We just do that till the healing starts. We don't do it when we just feel like it. We feel our grief and we keep pushing through anyway. We get up, you leave the house. Keep your social connections, keep praying, keep worshipping, keep turning up to church, to kinship, to groups, to whatever connects you with people. If there's not one that suits your needs in terms of groups, then start one. Because often it's really easy to go, well, this isn't working for me. Nobody else at church likes doing crocheting. Okay. If that's where you are, then find other like-minded people and put your hand up and say, does anyone else want to, to do this? That's the proactive nature of working through grief, to say no to isolation. So number six is more pain when we're grieving. I think that's a constant. And number seven was failure and discouragement. So all I can say into this is just to remind yourself of God's good story in your life to date. That often when um, we're experiencing real disappointment and disillusion, disillusionment, it's really important to go, yep, this is exactly where I am right now and it's important that I acknowledge this and I grieve this and I also want to remind myself of where I've come from and other things that God's done in my life. And lastly is partnership. Now, when you're working out physically, it often involves partnering with someone. So whether you engage a formal personal trainer, um, you have a friend that you meet up with, you go to an exercise class, you get your family involved, it's best done with others to keep you on track and keep you focused. And when we're working with, through disappointment and grief, you need to find your partners in that. Engage counselling if that's what's needed. Most importantly, invite God into it. The partnership with God can also look like accepting this altered reality of where you've been left in a broken world where we're temporarily living on our way to glory. Lord, my hope is dashed. My vision of my life is changed. In my circumstance, I had just started a family and the, my biological family of origin was splintered apart. So I was like, okay, I thought I'd have kids and there'd be grandparents and people involved and it's going to look like this and it's that's never happened so often it's about going well this is my current reality I don't like it but it is where I am right now God what can you do with me in this season what I've learned and what Roman 5 tells me is that suffering and endurance is needed to survive that the suffering and endurance needed to survive dashed hope forms my character and these three things combined is what develops hope. True hope is burst through grieved grief. They're linked. They're not separate things. We read about this at Good Friday the other week, John 20. Mary went to the empty tomb and was weeping and distraught that Jesus' body was missing. This story of dashed hope started before that when they saw their beloved leader and friend beaten and humiliated and nailed to the cross. Then they find him missing, assuming that his body's been taken. So the roller coaster was real. Then hope was revealed when Jesus appeared to Mary and the disciples. And I'm pretty confident that none of them thought the story was going to end that way because, you know, that's kind of a miracle. It never happened before. So for myself, as I navigated the journey through grief from dashed hope to a reformed, healed, new reality, it wasn't a single hope-filled line of progress. Thanks Isaac, the next slide. It was a mess, so it was a squiggle of lines with hope and grief and loss mixed together. We need to let go of our vision of hope and new life as simply a before and after scenario. It's not a renovating show. 
where the house is complete and everything is finally the way it should be and it's perfect and it's all as the designer was their vision. It's more about a continually changing renovation project that's got some parts of perfection, some parts where it's kind of shabbily put together but it's functioning, some parts that have been completely discarded because it didn't work or they ran out of time and money. If anyone's watched Grand Designs, you know that story. It's about accepting the reality of where we've landed and continuing to invite God into that reality to bring his blessing and vision to the imperfections and the disappointments and the stalled stories. If there's anything we've learned from COVID, it's that things change quickly, plans have to be ditched, and a new vision or a new way of doing things hastily put together and is birthed. Ask anyone who's planned a wedding in the last 12 months. <laughs> there's a Christian author, L.R. Nost, who writes about parenting and family life, and she has this quote that sums it up for me. And when I read it, we need to remember this is a lady who's younger than me. She has six children. She's lived with terminal cancer for four years. That's completely incurable. So next slide. Thank you, Isaac. So life is amazing, and then it's awful, and then it's amazing again. And in between the amazing and awful, it's ordinary and mundane and routine. Breathe in the amazing, hold on through the awful, and relax and exhale during the ordinary. That's just living, heartbreaking, soul-healing, amazing, awful, ordinary life. And it's breathtakingly beautiful. So as I finish up, the outcome of a grief grieved well is for me described in, again, Romans 5, 1 to 5, but this time the message version. So we'll just read that together. Thanks, Isaac. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him. We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's glory and grace, standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything. God generously pulls, our lives, pulls into our lives through the Holy Spirit. New beginnings often don't look like the picture that we've hoped for. We grieve and we hope simultaneously. I see those of you who are disappointed and hurting and I grieve with you. You're not alone. So that's all I wanted to share. And I guess today I wanted to ask people to, if you wanted someone to pray with you in your place of grief... And my nervousness with that is like, oh God, people are going to ask for stuff and it's not going to happen and then they're going to be even more disappointed. But my point is that um, we invite God into that space and we ask him, Lord, what can you do with me with my disappointment? So thank you for welcoming me to share this morning and I'm happy to pray with some of you if that's what you want.